Appreciate those kind words. I'm going to start with my ending because I'm pretty sure I'm going to run out of time today. Every time I speak on work in other countries, people want to know what they can do. And I love that heart. I love that the people in the Church of Christ have that heart. And I want to share a scripture with you this morning from 3 John, beginning with verse 5, where John is talking about some men who are going about doing the work. And he says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers. He's talking to the people that support them. It's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. There's never been an opportunity for just the average member of the church, and I mean that in the kindest way. I consider myself in that group. To share in foreign mission work, to support preachers, it's so easy now to transfer funds. And if you're thinking you can't afford to do that, it takes very little to be a huge help. And in this time, we also have the ability not only for you to send money like people would have in that period of time and never meet the person or maybe only have somebody come through and give a report about them once every two or three years. You can communicate with these people daily if you want. You don't have to know their language. I'm sure there are 20-somethings here that can show you how to use Google Translate. And you can share daily messages with the guys you're uh, supporting. And you would just be amazed at how much they appreciate it. There are so many men. I'm not talking of myself. and I'm talking about the people that live in those countries and live on very little. The average person in Colombia lives on four to $500 a month. So... You can see where if you have a little extra money, 20 or $40 a month, and I would encourage you if you decide to get involved in something, I try to do it on a monthly basis. There's nothing better for a man than to know he's got an amount of money coming every month. Uh, yeah, a $100 check once a year is nice, but it comes and it's gone, and it's just nice to know that you have money that you can depend on. Let's get started on this before I waste too much time. That's a map of Colombia. If you're not familiar with South America, that's the very northern tip of South America. That country, for comparison, is about 1,000 miles north to south. So that's a big country. There are several major airports there. You have to do a lot of your travel by plane. Uh, some of the places that we travel to, there are not even roads that go to them. So you either fly in or you come in by river, and they're just uh, a beautiful people. Almost every year, Colombia is either the top or very close to the top of the happiest people on earth. I can't tell you why. Uh, You look around that country, I'm telling you, if you move there, you'd struggle to be happy after living here. But they are happy people. So I took off for Bogota. You can see Bogota there in the middle of the screen. Uh, We also worked while we were there up at the northern end in Cartagena. We were in Sahagún, right below that. We preached in Montalibano. We visited Villa Garzón at the very southern end. And then we returned back up to Cali and Jumbo area there towards the bottom of the map. So that's kind of the travel that we did. There's way too much to tell you about, but I want to share a few stories with you 
and a little bit of what's going on down there. It was a, it was a good year to not go, let me tell you. Um, I didn't get to go last year. This was my fifth trip, six years I've been going, and I would have gone in 2020, but it just was shut down and I wasn't allowed to travel. It finally opened up where I was able to travel and go back, and almost everywhere I visited this time, uh, we were told uh, we were the first ones back after the pandemic. So it's been a really painful time for them, Um, and it was a little difficult getting started. I couldn't find anybody to go with me this year, Uh, Everybody had obligations or didn't have their shots or couldn't get the clearance to get in the country. Something was going on with everybody and I ended up just taking off by myself. But I have a young man who's a translator um, that I met on my first trip and he's just a joy to work with. He's so happy to be doing what he's doing. He's a, uh, by Colombian standards, he's a wealthy man. He's a professional and he's studying to get his MBA right now. He's in his late 20s. And he takes his vacation every year and travels with preachers from the United States. He won't take a penny for it. As a matter of fact, he wants to pay some of the expenses. So he is a joy to know. I'll show you his picture a little later. And he's supposed to meet me down there. Uh, Then it turns out, well, I can't actually meet you. My father's going to meet you in Bogota. And so I fly into Bogota. It takes all day long. I get in there about 7 o'clock in the evening. And at every stage of that process of checking into the country, I'm looking on the other side of the door for Carlos, and Carlos is not there. And so finally I'm at the door where you're going out into a city of 9 million people where people regularly disappear. And uh, I haven't seen anybody I know. So I sat down and I, and I logged on to the airport Wi-Fi and immediately my phone just starts blowing up. It's his little sister. She says, when you get to Pereira, let us know. Use, this is my number and we'll come pick you up. I said back, I don't know about going to Pereira. I don't have a ticket and I don't know where to get one. So she said, well, um, Santiago said he bought you a ticket already. I don't know about a ticket already. I've got nothing. So... She says, give me a minute. And in a little bit, they sent me a QR code to the ticket he had bought. And I went to the Avianca counter and didn't find anybody that spoke English. But the little uh, girl there and I figured it out and we got checked in and I got on a flight, got to Pereira and ended up at 1.30 in the morning going over my lesson with his little brother so that he could translate for me the next morning because Santiago wasn't even going to make it there for Sunday. But he did eventually catch up with me. So that's how we got off to a rough start. That was as we were landing in Pereira. And this is the church in Santa Rosa where Santiago's father preaches. He actually preaches in four churches. He is a native there. And he has three preachers that help him. And they're just, this is a wonderfully successful part of the country there. It's uh, both financially and church-wise. It's where they grow coffee. It's gorgeous there. Lots of travelers go there. And that's a picture of me standing up there with Santiago's little brother up there at the pulpit. That was the first time he ever translated for me. And he did an adequate job. Everybody understood what we were talking about and laughed at our mistakes. And and I've gotten really used to that. I, I don't care at all. I'm going to make mistakes. That's, you can see what Santa Rosa looks like. It's a beautiful place. Three years ago when we were there, which was the last time I spoke here before you, um, they were speaking of starting a church in Dos Cabradas, and we met with the group in a house that was talking about forming this church. It was a church that wasn't doing well spiritually, and they were separating from them and starting a little group. And, and they've grown to the point now where they rent this building. They meet in the upstairs of that building in that hall 
And that's a typical place in a big city where you'll see churches meeting there. You never know when you're going to need a washing machine. So um, they haul everything on motorcycles and many people, five people on a 125cc motorcycle is not unusual. Uh, you just see that sort of thing all the time. So we, we visited there with his family and then took off the next morning for our work. We actually went up to Cartagena in the north part of the country, which is where people from the United States go and spend $300 a night to stay on the beach. Anywhere else in the country, you can stay in a really nice hotel for $15. Uh, 12 if you don't want air conditioning. So this is a difference. Um, and you might not agree with me on those being really nice hotels, by the way, if you... If you take your wife with you, you might want to find a little better place than where we stay. But Cartagena is a beautiful place, and that's where we went. We visited Javier and Liliana. They preach in the outskirts. Um, they don't live where it's rich. They're out on the edges where it's really poor. We go through places on the way there that are so poverty-stricken. The first time I took some pictures, I'm ashamed to take pictures now. There are always people sitting outside these shacks, that you would not park your lawnmower in. If it was in your yard, you would burn it down. And there's just huge neighborhoods of these houses of nailed together pallets and scraps of blue tarps and scraps of styrofoam, and that's where they live. Um, open sewage running everywhere. It's awful. But they live, they work on the edge there of, and, and preach out in these little villages. The first night they had had a death in their congregation there in Turbaco, where is the main church where he preaches, and we went out for a visit. They always want to visit, so we would go over, and they always say, it's just a visit. You don't need to prepare a lesson or anything, and, and you're there about five minutes, and they say, well, what are you going to talk about tonight? So, and I fall for that every time. I, I'm not a smart man, trust me. Um, that's where the church in Turbaco meets, in that little white building there. It's actually very nice on the inside, and they have a couple of uh, modern restrooms now, which was new this time, but that is the sewage running down the middle of the street if you see that black water there. So it's not the greatest place in the world. They have the same problems everywhere that we have here. And there's just this uh, elderly couple here. I say elderly. They might even be younger than me, you think, um, in the plaid shirt and her in the dark blue shirt. They just recently came in from the uh, evangelical church. Um, he's Adabel, Ad, that's a hard one to say. Adalberto has actually been baptized. His wife has not. And they asked me to talk to her about why she hadn't been baptized. <laughs> and they asked me that right in front of her. Um, they're very out forward people. They, they don't hide things. They speak openly about what's going on. And it, it's just... It was a joy. I promised them that we would be praying for them here. So if you keep a prayer list, you might want to jot those two names down and, and say a prayer to the Lord about them. And another place that uh, Javier works is a little place called Arjona. I could be looking on here, couldn't I? And quit twisting my neck. Arjona is uh, a little tiny village. The church had gotten up to about 20 people, and they're now down to four. They've had a really tough time. Um, the pandemic hit them hard. Uh, people got scared and stayed away. And, you know, all the same things we experienced here, just at a different level. And they were wondering about uh, finding people to help them make their $100 a month building payment. I told them I wouldn't mention that, but I said, I've got to tell you, on the list of things that are needed in your country, to pay for people to preach and to pay for people to have food, paying for a building is pretty low. And that led us to a, a discussion that we have sometimes here about the simplicity of the gospel. I'm so struck by that when I visit these kind of places. 
Because it's not just simple in its message. It's simple in its practice. What do you really need to have a church? Well, you need at least one copy of the Bible, I would say. You need some people that are willing to assemble. You need a little bit of bread and a little bit of grape juice. There's not much more, is there? I mean, you can just do this anywhere in the world. And that's why, part of the reason why it's so successful in Colombia. They have so little. And yet, they're able to have hope through the Lord. And that's such a thrill. That was inside their little building where we spoke and and shared a message with them. I talked to them about crossing Jordan. We often get to preach three or four times a day. Um, It's a pretty tiresome schedule. Having just recovered from COVID about a week before I went down there, um, I had a little struggle at the beginning having enough energy. I drank every cup of coffee they offered me. I usually drink one cup in the morning, and I was up to six or seven by the time I got home. And uh, I crashed when I got home, but that's what's going on there. And I just blanked the screen. There we go. See a lot of unusual traffic signs there that you don't get to see here. This is our brother, Albert. Uh, You guys have actually supported Albert some here. You've sent some money to him. Albert's an unusual person. He learned the gospel. He's not the preacher there. He worked in a mine. He lost his job and he went out and started teaching. And he did it with no support. And for quite a while, he just really scraped to get by. He's doing a little better now. Thanks to some of the individuals here and individuals in other places, we're pooling about four or $500 a month and sending it to him right now. The church in Anderson, Indiana, was able to buy him that motorcycle when he had a wreck last year and destroyed his. Um, but he goes out in the bush, in the uh, rough areas where he goes. You just... It's hard to believe. He's actually in Montalibano, and that's in the church. That's his uncle, Ignacio, that preaches there. And that's Ignacio and his wife in their home where I had dinner once. But he travels around to different places, and we'll get to those in a minute. We spent a little time with them, and then we went up to Saagoon. Got to stay on the right button. Saagoon, you may have picked up, if you've seen any of my posts on Facebook or other people that are working down in that area, has been hit really hard. It's the most successful church I know of that I've personally been to in Colombia. It got up to about 50 people. And this gentleman um, was their preacher. During COVID, he went and got his shot and shortly thereafter died. And, you know, I'm, I'm not... I don't know if that's the reason or not. He was fairly elderly, as you can see. But he was a powerhouse. He started churches all around that part of the country. When he walked in where a group of Christians were, everybody stopped what they were doing and listened to him. He was just a... He brought himself out of the evangelical church by listening to a a Church of Christ radio program and brought most of his congregation with him (laughs) and then devoted his life to serving the Lord in that way. In that same congregation, there was a young professional couple. I say professional because they owned their own business. They had a little hardware store and they made concrete blocks also. And I was commenting to Santiago when we were there a couple years ago, what a joy it was to see how he was able to serve the Lord. And, and it was just exciting to see a successful young man. He had money and yet he was still excited about the Lord. And he was using that gift to serve the Lord. He said, it's also very dangerous. That's an odd thing to say. Well, the, 
guerrillas from the paramilitary organization, the FARC, if you're familiar with them, that's in that area, uh, came to his business and demanded money. And instead, he went to the police the next morning. And they came to his business and shot him in the head. <clears throat> and six months later, they found his wife and they shot her in the head. And they left behind five children, 16 and damn. And they had to go into hiding, and I don't know where they are now. Uh, I didn't ask about them when I was there because I didn't even want to bring the subject up. But I understand they're safe. So this congregation has had all of this. It was in this gentleman's backyard. The, the building was. His wife's still there. And she's a powerful Christian also, but... She got sick and had to go to the big city for surgery and was gone for four months. So you can imagine what condition this congregation is. They're just battered. And so I was dreading seeing her because I knew it was going to be terrible. And she cried on my chest and my shirt was soaked with her tears when she was done. And then we sat down and I thought, I'm going to hear all about losing her husband. What I heard about was her concern for the church. She was just really heartbroken over what was happening to that church. Nobody was stepping up. The men weren't doing their job. And the congregation was failing. It's really an advantage when we show up to be able to say we're from another place because people come out to listen. I don't know why. I mean, I'm not a famous preacher. I'm an electrician, if you're wondering what I do for a living. I'm retired now, but... I'm not a preacher. And I, but people come, and they came back to hear us. And so we spoke there. That's Santiago on the right, the translator that travels with me, and his father who preaches in the first town I showed you. He traveled with us also this time. We spoke, and we spoke to them every lesson for three days about you guys got to get back to work. You've got this beautiful place. You have the respect of the community. And you've got to step up and get back to work. We understand that you can't do what Artenio did. But you can do a piece of what he did. And every one of you can do a piece of what he did. And, that, and you can get back to work. And the same thing is coming in our future, by the way. I'm convinced of that. One of these days, you're going to, boom, not have a preacher here or maybe the eldership will step down. You don't know what will happen in the future. But there's going to come a day when you're either here or somewhere else, and you need to step up. And we all need to know that we can do something. I, if I can travel and teach, and I've never worked as a preacher, then you can too. Start practicing today. Sign up and teach a Bible class here and start getting ready. Because there will be a door open to you someday. And have the nerve to step through it. Don't think about it. Just get up and say, yeah, I'll do it because I can. And uh, so anyway, enough sermoning. Uh, they came back together for a meal in the backyard that day, which they used to do all the time. Artenio and his wife would provide dinner for everybody. And so Doris provided the dinner that day for all of those people. And for the first time in two years, they've been, they were back together. And as we were leaving there, she grabbed us and told us that the men had agreed they were assembling this next week to plan the work for the next year. So that was exciting to us to hear that they're getting back to work. And uh, so we moved on. That was after Sunday dinner. We had two more places to preach that day and one more Bible study to go to. <laughs> so we got on down the road. 
This is back with Albert, the guy in the white shirt. He's the one with the motorcycle that travels. He has these three little groups now, three congregations that he speaks to. They're meeting in the street in one place, in somebody's house in another place. And in the middle of all that, he has an aunt that he's just vaguely aware of that dies and he inherits a place right in the middle of these three places. It's a little house and he has now, this is one of the groups that is a part of that. He built this room on the side of that house and he's trying to bring these three small groups together and form one good solid congregation. It'll be about 20 minutes travel for all of them to get there. And so we had uh, a Bible study there with that young couple that you can see in the middle of that picture on the right. That's Kati and uh, Santiago, another Santiago. And I got a text message at 1230 this morning uh, that those two were baptized this morning. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, we celebrate the success there. And then we went down the road from there to Caracas. And you can see that little tin roof shelter in the right-hand picture. That's where we met. Uh, Albert has been having Bible studies there along the river. There is not a church. There's not a Christian there. He just met some people there and said, would you study with me? And they liked it so much that they said, why don't we invite some more people? And so they typically have five to eight on Sunday afternoons that meet there and study the Bible, but they put the word out that we were there. And we had people coming and going the whole time. When it was over, we ended up with about 50 under the shelter and some more standing in the street that I couldn't count. And uh, they're now doubled. They're about 16 and they have these two new baptisms there. So uh, think the Lord is moving in that place. And it's just because people are sharing the word. It was an exciting place to be. And then we traveled on to Vija Garzon. Vija Garzon is the one that was at the bottom of the country that I showed you on the map. Uh, it is the edge of the rainforest. When you land at the airport, airport there, there is no tower. There is one runway. There's only one flight in and out of there every other day, so you don't really need a tower. And you fly down to the end of it, and you turn around and come back, and there's a a little building about half the size of our house, and that's the terminal. Um, <clears throat> but it's on the highway where they bring cocaine in. And so you start seeing a lot of soldiers there. When we got into Vija Garzon, uh, we, there were soldiers everywhere with AK-47. I'm not sure what's going on. I just assume they're on our side and everything's fine. <clears throat> they had a preacher in this congregation. His name was Armando. A uh, young family man had two small children. Uh, he got COVID and started having trouble breathing and went to the hospital and within 24 hours was gone. So that left two families there. Uh, this Oscar that is there in the white shirt with his wife in the white dress, they were the original members of that congregation. They are now the hosts of that congregation in their home and he does most of the preaching. He's not a preacher either, but he stepped up and he's doing the job. But they were depressed when I got there. I mean, they were just so sad. Um, nobody helping them, no encouragement, and it was tough for them. Things happen on these trips that you don't see coming. And because we had Santiago's father with us, we found out that he had a sister lived about a mile and a half or an hour and a half north by bus went to a congregation up there and they had a preacher. And so we were able to make a connection and he came down and visited this congregation and is now going once a month uh, down to encourage them. That's Freddie Medina. 
pray for him. And he could probably use a little travel money. He didn't ask for money, but there are people that need help. So it was great to be there. Uh, they have a little boy there named Sebastian. I'm not sure what was wrong with him. He had some damage at birth. He's very limited in his abilities, but he's now a Christian. He leads in prayer and leads at the Lord's Supper. His father has to translate for him because he's so hard to understand. But uh, there's good things happening there. We left there and we went to Jumbo. That's where the widow of the preacher went that died from that town. And we helped her a little bit from Anderson trying to get on her feet. And so I was assigned to check on her, see what was going on there. So the church is doing pretty well there. It's a small group, uh, but it's exciting. That's Vanessa. That's the widow and her two children and the preacher's kid that jumps into every picture in the red shirt. (laughs) But I liked him because he always gave me a hug when I saw him. It was good to see them. She's going to beauty school now and working on... um, getting her life back together. The theme on this trip seemed to be discouragement, just like we've seen in churches in the United States, but just to a much greater degree. And fear, they've had a national strike, they've had trouble with the FARC, they've just had all kinds of problems recently. And so they're very discouraged. And so I preached a lot on He is Able. I encourage you to, since I'm not going to be here to preach that sermon for you, I encourage you to ask your preacher to or look it up yourself. Look up the scriptures that say He is able, the Lord is able, Jesus is able. Find all of those and put them together in a list and read them. It's a great encouragement to you. I told people down there, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, this is too much, I cannot do it. There's too much trial, there's too much sickness, there's too much sorrow, there's too much persecution, I cannot go on. You're probably right, you can't. And when I said that, the translator looked at me and said, really? I said, you can't by yourself, but you can with the Lord because He is able and He has supplied everything we need to do what we need to do. If you're thinking about giving up today for some reason, there's some trial in your life, please don't give up. Ask these brothers and sisters. And I'm asking you as brothers and sisters to look around. One of my favorite things to do down there now, since I know a tiny amount of Spanish, is to pick out somebody that I don't know that's sitting off by themselves and go and sit and try to speak Spanglish with them. They work on their English and I work on my Spanish. And we don't know a lot of what each other said, but we comfort each other and we love each other. Don't let anybody stand alone. I know you have people here that feel alone today. It's so easy for me to go to my friends, go to the preacher, start making dinner plans after services. Take the first 10 minutes and just look around for somebody you don't know or somebody that's by themselves, or somebody that looks sad, you don't have to talk to them about it. Just go talk to them. Say, I had a lousy week. How was yours? (laughs) And share it. Talk about it. Love each other. And we need to get to heaven together in that way. That's the preacher in that town. Uh, Vanessa lives downstairs. The church meets upstairs. We got an opportunity at the last minute to go down to the Amazon River. And we said, okay, we'll go. And we told this group, we're going to leave Santiago's father here to preach for you on Sunday. And, and, or, yes, and Santiago and I are going to go down to the Amazon to encourage a group down there that's having a lot of trouble. And the preacher came to us and said, you can't do that. 
They've known for weeks that you're coming, and they have planned what's going to happen after services. And these ladies have worked all week preparing, and you can't go. So we didn't go. <laughs> you just have to be flexible. You cannot do it all. I went down there as a nobody. The guy that translates for me is a nobody. In a country where there's a real pecking order to people that preach and teach down there, it's a big thing to be a big thing in Colombia. It's kind of a problem. In some places it is here too. And I encouraged Santiago on that first trip, just be a nobody. You think we're important. We're not important. Almost nobody in the United States knows who I am. I've just found some places to work and that's where I work. And you need to do the same thing. And we now have more places than we can get to Every trip, we need to be there longer and don't have time and money to do so. I was impressed with one thing that I want to leave you with. Like I told you, I'm not a smart man. It takes me a long time to catch on to things sometimes. You know, we have instructions in the Bible about widows. Widows indeed. Widows that can be supported by the church. And younger widows that, nah, they ought to get married and go on with their life and raise a family. I spent time with these two widows on this trip. And it was such a picture to me how the Bible is exactly right on where they're at in their life. The first widow I talked to you about, almost nothing about the loss of her husband. Her concern and her love was for the church and to continue her husband's work. And the Bible gave proper instructions for that. And the second widow that I spoke to you about there at the end, we, we sat and listened to her sob and try to speak for a couple of hours after services one night. And all of her talk was about, I miss my husband. I'm lonely. I don't know how I'm going to get through life. And the instructions are right there in the Bible for both of those situations and exactly what they need. And the instructions are in the Bible for exactly what you and I need in our lives. So step out, serve the Lord, and you will be rewarded in ways that you can't even imagine, and doors will be opened that you didn't even know were there. Thank you so much for your attention.